does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Yeah, thanks for waking up with us, KB and Andy, hanging out with you on the fan until 10 o'clock. Scott Agnes going to join us. We'll talk some Pacers hoops with him coming up uh, in about an hour. Pacers winners last night. We continue to get ready for the big game, Lucas Oil, Colts, and Saints. Uh, before we dive into this Michael Pittman Jr. sound, want to get to that. Uh, did you see that they have installed now in Frankfurt where the Patriots and Colts will play uh, in artificial surface? Did you happen to see any of this? A hybrid field really? is what it's called. Now, They're not if you remember, on some grass soccer field. Well, no. Last year, and, and I had forgotten about this just because between you know the turf at MetLife and the turf at all these different places, you think of Aaron Rodgers at the beginning of the year, and then you go you know overseas to any of the places, and it's going to obviously be different. Uh, but it was natural grass in Munich last year. And the Chiefs and Dolphins, no, no, I take that back. The Bucks and Seahawks played there last year, if you happen to remember. Uh, probably a game you didn't have, <laughs> you weren't dialed in, unless you had Geno Smith starting at 9.30 in the morning uh, on your fantasy team. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so the, it was natural grass. Uh, you know, uh, apparently the soccer team there played before it, it just wasn't in great shape. It was slippery. So they went and uh, it looks like in the, within the last week here, they've installed a hybrid field for the two games in Frankfurt coming up the next couple weeks. Now, so this is a different stadium, though. That was Munich, right? Yeah. This is Frankfurt. I, yeah. Apparently they just they. This is what they did. I don't know why huh. they did what they did. I don't know how much soccer is being played on these fields before the NFL teams well, roll in. But Chiefs they Dolphins tried something else. next Sunday. Nothing says, "Hey, we're gonna you know hit you with um, quite the Christmas present and then follow up with Colts Patriots." Chiefs Dolphins to Colts Patriots. Oh. Uh, basically, hopefully the Frankfurt fans, the first impression really stands <laughs> out because the last yeah, impression. But- uh, won't necessarily be the same. Yeah, you know me. I think we should send the worst toilet bowl game over there. Like you don't they, like Dolphins well, Chiefs I mean, they, at nine thirty in the us, morning. Give I us, like that. They give us soccer friendlies over here. We don't get anything that actually matters over here. We're giving them. We're giving them a great game. We, I mean, Chiefs Dolphins one of the one of the top five six games of the entire NFL season. Is it not? We will. I think the two. So again, the Colts play in Frankfurt coming up in two weeks. Uh, the Tuesday of that week, we will have somebody from the uh, Colts football operations department who basically is. Uh, spearheaded the travel Ugh. for this game. It, it is I can't wild. imagine. Like a little oh. bit of a glimpse. Basically, when training camp ended, they had to send some equipment on a ship over there at the end of training camp. Really? For one game. <laughs> for one game, what, three months later? Well, like, like, on a, like on a boat? That's part of the process to go over there. And then at different points, you're putting, you know, uh, beverages, you know, whatever, Pedialyte or Gatorade or water, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that goes over on a plane, and then obviously you'll travel over there. I assume I don't. I, I think the Colts are doing the Thursday uh, night travel over there. Um, so practice here for the first two days, and then head over there. And you also run into the, you know, the Colts signed a guy on Tuesday this week. Uh, if you get into that week, one of the first things you're asking the free agents if you need to sign them and play in the game, do you have a passport? How many guys do you think on the Colts don't have a passport? I'd love – that's kind of what I want to know. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, not, I, to, not to name names, but, like, no, is there a percentage? Would, ah, if, you know, 15% of the guys we had to kind of work on here. I mean, the first – I mean, I'll just speak from my own personal experience. The first time I had ever been overseas was the 2016 game in London. 
So, you know, at that point I was, what, 26 years old, 27 years old? So I, it's not like football takes you overseas. <laughs> you know, if these guys were like travel soccer players or, you know, maybe even a little bit of basketball, you would have played on a Team USA team that maybe went overseas. I would say soccer yeah. is probably the travel sport where you go overseas a little bit more. I, I would guess over – Half maybe needed a penalty. Wow. It, well, I'm thinking the young guys. Maybe if you're if you're kind of a rookie or I fifth round guy, if you've been 2016 yeah. when the when the London experience hadn't been as abundant as it is now. At this point, if you've been in the league for a handful of years, you've probably played in some international game. But uh, we'll do that coming up in a couple weeks. You've been on. It's all about have you been on one of those nice vacations? <laughs> to me, to me, that's what it comes down to. If you're one of these NFL guys, uh, whether that's I with your not, family yeah, or not, ha- have you been on one of the vacations where you have to go and you have to have a passport? That's basically it. That's why I had one. My wife loves going to Mexico resorts, obviously. One thing I wanted to, and we'll touch on this Michael Pittman audio here in just a second, but for those waking up, I wanted to hear a little bit about last night Pacers over the Wizards, 143 to 120. You know, again, I remember saying to Rick Carlisle a few weeks ago, I have not seen a Pacers team with this much depth. And I I can't even recall a team that really sniffed as much depth as this team has. And last night, he shortened the rotation a little bit. So, I mean, you had guys like TJ McConnell, not in the normal normal group. Um, Isaiah Jackson, the only reason he got in the games because Miles Turner and Jalen Smith got into a little bit of foul trouble. You know, Jairus Walker, Ben Shepard. Your two first-round picks, Jordan Wara. All these guys are outside what the normal nine-man rotation is going to be here to start the year. I was adding it up. If you look at the second unit and even dip into the third unit, Andy, you have guys that started over 250 games for you combined. I mean, Buddy Heald started 80 games for you. Aaron Neesmith started 60 games for you last year. You know, TJ McConnell was needed to play a big role. Jalen Smith was needed to play a big role. Jordan Ward played a nice amount Jordan last Moore year. Jordan started yeah. double-digit games. You know, Isaiah Jackson started double-digit games. And I'm not even factoring in your two first-round rookies. You know, most teams, a first-round rookie is going to get some minutes for you. So, again, when you look at the meaningful roles – Guys like Heald, Neesmith, Jalen Smith, what they played for you last season, Andy, there were nights where they were your number three or four guy. And last night, I found it very fitting that obviously they're out of the starting rotation. And when did the game turn? It went Heald, Jalen Smith, Aaron Neesmith came in the game. That's when it turned. And that's when Washington had to go to a bunch of guys that you were like, wait, these dudes are still in the NBA? Once that happens, and I think that is going to be something to watch throughout an 82-game season because it's only going to grow relying on your depth. You're going to have back-to-backs. You're going to be playing three and four. You're going to have road trips, et cetera, et cetera. That will be an advantage for the Pacers. Do the Pacers have the best you know, top one, two, or three trio in the league? Of course not. But when you start getting into depth and you start being able to kind of withstand what an 82-game season is all about, I think the Pacers are going to rank right up there with any team. And by the way, your boy Jairus Walker wanted to score so damn bad oh last gosh. night. <laughs> Maddie really wanted him to get a bucket. Did she? I was Did explaining. She feel, bad? she feel bad for him? Well, because he had kind of a point blank layup that oh, he missed yeah, at one yeah, point. Yeah, he had a couple. And, and I was, yeah, you know, I explained to her, you know, this guy, you know, he left after his freshman year. He's a rookie, and I'm like, boy, they don't play till Saturday. It would be important for his psyche just to get a bucket. Oh, he he's sitting in it right now. You know, you, yeah. you don't want to sit there he's, for the next. He's over five last hours. Night. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say, I, I listen. I I think last night you saw 
what we have been talking about so much. And let me equate kind of the Pacers to the Colts. And I don't know if people like that or not. We've been talking about Gardner Minshew in the back of his baseball card, right? I mean, when going into this season, what did we kind of think of of the Pacers? They were going to be... Uh, uh, you know, a fast up and down team. We saw that last night. They were going to shoot a lot of threes. I mean, they're going to average. I, I mean, I, if they average over 40 threes. I would not be surprised this season. You saw that with the first unit, the second unit, and the third unit last night. Uh, we talked about guys like Ben Shepard and Jarris Walker going to need some time. Both played six minutes. They're obviously going to need some time. And on top of it, we talked about the defense, the good and the bad. There was some good. There was also some bad last night, right? That Carlisle, sure. oh, even yeah. after the Early game, was yeah, yeah, with us. And even after the game last night, KB was very, you know, forefront of, hey, this is going to take some time. Big guys we're, got in foul yeah, trouble. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I just, for me, whether it's 10 guys or nine guys, that's not a huge deal. That's going to be something with injuries. Like you said, you know, maybe not even back-to-back, but games start to stack against each other you know it's funny relating the two again that was the worry with the Colts was it not that when you dipped into the backups it was like oh boy you know and and with the with the Pacers that might not be the case against other backups of other teams that might be their second or third best strength they have this season and I don't want to get way too far ahead of ourselves but I guess I will and and when I've stated I think this is a five or six seed I probably have already kind of you know planted my flag in the ground but Andy, when you get into playoff basketball, in a way, depth kind of evaporates. You know, once you get to the postseason, it's about your horses. And, you know, sure, injuries can matter to a degree, but, you know, you're playing whatever. Eight guys, maybe. You shorten that rotation big time. Your starters are logging north of 40 minutes, night in, night out. So it's going to differ then. And, you know, there's going to be a point in time in the season, and again, it might not be really till the playoffs where you feel it, where teams are just going to say, hey, we are blitzing and double teaming Tyrese Halliburton every time he touches the ball. And someone else is going to have to facilitate. Someone else is going to have to run the show. And how do the Pacers handle that? But when you play kind of the 82-game grind and teams rest as many guys as they do, your depth can position you to be a really quality team come top eight seed time and where the Pacers are going to rank in that. So I do think it's important to have this depth, rely on it. You saw it last night. Again, it's quality. It's legit. It's at several different positions. Andrew Nemhard is a backup point guard. I mean, that is a – you'd love to have 12 and 10 that he gave you last night with, what, two turnovers, something like that. I mean, that is a dream. And so that can be really beneficial to you for the next you know handful of months. Now, again, you know, maybe a different conversation arrives in April and May. But as of now and how the season evolves – it's such a great advantage the Pacers have, and I would say, Andy, on most nights, they will have an advantage in that depth area. Uh, you want to get to this? Let's do it. Michael Pittman Jr. Now, this is sound. Is this sound from your iPhone? Is that what we got here? Is this you know, doing journalism? Uh, we took this right from your Twitter. Sam ripped it right the, from your how's Twitter. How's the quality, Sam? It's a, it's, I think it sounds fine. Does it get fine. the job done? Yeah, I think it'll be good audio. Okay. Yeah, I think All it's right. pretty good audio. It's about 45 seconds or so. So, obviously, uh, everyone, you guys, uh, as a media throng, all went in and you surrounded Michael Pittman Jr. yesterday, Could correct? I set the scene a little bit Yeah, here? set the scene. Please so again, do. Michael Pittman Jr. post-game to Nate Atkins uh, from the Indianapolis Star, and I'm paraphrasing here. He was frustrated in the post-game locker room about not getting the ball enough. I think he echoed, and I think this is a direct quote, maybe I'm not a big part of this offense, was the quote. Um, and so I was curious 
just kind of how the NFL cycle works, Andy, of guys make post-game comments on a Sunday. They are usually filled with some raw emotion. How do they stand by them, clarify whatever, on a Wednesday or Thursday when they meet the media again? I didn't personally feel the need that Michael Pittman Jr. needed to have some grandiose statement. Sure. I, you know, I think we talked sure. about it on Monday and Tuesday. I largely chalk it up to incredibly competitive individual. I know that sounds cliche, but Pittman is different in my opinion. Part of that is he's the son of a 10-year NFL veteran. Um, I also thought the timing of it was just a little – if you want to nitpick it, after he scored 38 points and had 450 total yards of offense, the timing is probably not great. Uh, in that situation, and I don't think this was the Colts and Pittman coming together saying, hey, man, you're getting ripped right now, and you need to say something. Like, I I don't think this is a, um, you have a big storyline out there, and the player now is scrambling to save face. Um, You know, I simply asked one of the Colts PR people, I was like, hey, is Michael Pittman going to be available today? He's like, yeah, you know, he kind of just pointed, if he's at his locker, Go ahead and talk to him. Like I don't think this is a plan per right, se. Right. I don't think there's been too many people ripping him. No, Probably no, some fans guess, have. Yeah. It's a harmful. Here it is. It's a harmful misstep. Yeah. That's kind of the way I see it. It draws headlines because you don't really have Colts players do that very sure. often. And the quote on paper stands out. It does. When you provide context around the quote, I think it lessens how much it stands out. But. Michael Pittman clearly felt some sort of need to clarify what he said on Sunday. Again, I thought he handled it tremendously. Here was Michael Pittman yesterday. I kind of wanted to come here and kind of clear that up. I mean, obviously, it was a very frustrating loss the way that it happened. And uh, I've never been a good loser. I'm actually a very poor sport. It's something that I've been working on like my whole life. Um, and it's just hard for me sometimes. And, and uh, when like you lose, sometimes you lose your composure. You like lose your head. And um, and I think I I uh, was a little dramatic like when I said that. Um, obviously, I am a big part of this offense. Like I lead the team in targets and, and um, stuff like that. So you know, like like just like it was out of frustration and um, and I just wanted to clear up that I love playing here, that I love Indy and um, everything that we do here. Um, and um, I'm excited for this uh, week coming up. And and yeah, I mean, I just wanted to clear that up. I think for me, when you read, was it Monday? It was in the 9 o'clock hour, I think, on Monday when when you kind of read that quote from the Indy star. Nate Atkins had that, and I immediately said I didn't like it. And I think what's changed for me the last few days is twofold, is number one, Michael Pittman Jr. I'm not saying like he gets a pass if he does this next week and he does it in two you know two weeks down the road and it's like okay we get to, we get to de- December and you know KB and we have you know four or five instances of him being very publicly critical of his role within the offense then I think we can sit here and say okay is he pulling a Jonathan Taylor does he not want to be here we can kind of get into some of those things but Pittman was pissed off and this kind of goes to my thoughts which we'll get into in the eight o'clock hour with Jim Irsay like. I'm fine with it. That was a bad, bad loss on Sunday. Uh, And they've had a couple of those, but Sunday was one of those games that is absolutely 
a season swinging type of loss. In these 50 50 games in the NFL, you got to win these games if you're going to make the playoffs. And Michael Pittman is, is looking at it and he knows that, right? And he and he also knows that he's a really, really good player. Like on top of it, I know it's a contract year uh, and everything else. So him showing that emotion, much like Ursay, you know, pandering to his fan base on the two calls or the, you know, yeah, yeah, I was going to say no calls. It should have been no call in the last one. The, uh, the two calls at the end of the game, I'm fine with it. And, you know, also, I think people around here, especially you, you know his personality. Him saying that's a little bit, was a little bit out of character, I guess. And frankly, the Colts need more Michael Pittman Juniors that have the edge they that he plays with. Like, if you watch him block, if you watch him go after a fumble, like, this dude lays it on the line. He's incredibly durable. The Colts have had banged-up wideouts throughout their careers. I mean, you see it every week, and a lot of wideouts get banged up in this league. Tyree Kill, he's in question to play coming up on Sunday. Um, and I just think the edge that he plays with, I've said it a million times, and some people are probably tired of me saying it, there's no USC pretty boy with Michael Pittman. There is none of that. The, it, he he flips a switch when he's on the field, and it's honestly, honestly part of the reason why I think it makes sense to bring him back. I think I can acknowledge he's not a top 10 wideout in this league, but he's an important piece to what you need to be about and the depth of your wideout group moving forward. Um, I got a text when that clip was playing, and they pointed out here, you know, my issue with Pittman's initial comments is that he dropped a touchdown pass and comes out with that complaint. Mm -hmm. I mean, you go back and watch that play. I I don't know if that is an outright touchdown, to be clear. I don't think it was like, you know, Foster Moreau's drop that you had on Thursday night football last week for the Saints. But, you know, Pittman, you know, he had an opportunity. It was a difficult grab. But, you know, as our listener points out, if, you know, you are a top, top flight wideout, you do make that catch. I am curious shifting to Sunday now with Pittman. And I don't want to say that what Pittman said on Sunday is like what T.Y. Hilton did in Houston a handful of years ago. But Pittman did say something Sunday. He he showed frustration in a public manner like he hasn't shown it before. And I largely think it was to do with the loss and honestly, probably to do with here I am playing with another new quarterback. Like I think that is just part of the root of his frustration, understandably. Now, let's look at Sunday. T.Y. Hilton, a handful of years ago, Andy, wore a clown mask <laughs> to a playoff game in Houston. I looked this up, by the way. Yeah. A clown. I, the man literally walked. I mean, Bruce Brown last <laughs> night was what? Was he naked, I believe, <laughs> underneath those overalls? Looking like a cowboy walking into Baker's hey, Life Field? You don't it, care about those things as much. You don't care about the swag before the game as much as I do, I don't think. I'm always looking at that. that you be- what did Bruce Brown do last night? He was a leading scorer for the Pacers. <laughs> Obi Toppin goes with very baggy stuff. Like back when I was in middle school and high school. Obi Toppin in midair. That is quite the sight to see. I must, I'm must. i looking at I the clown mask right now. Did anybody notice uh, Tyrese Halliburton looking like an Indiana version of Keanu Reeves? <laughs> yeah, Tyrese also. A lot of. Right out of the Matrix. Baggy clothes with that. Uh, so T.Y. Hilton literally says to a Colts equipment staff, uh, go to Value World. Grab me a clown mask. Love it. Go wherever. Get me one. And what does Frank Reich dial up on the first series of that playoff game in Houston? What does Andrew Luck do on that first series in Houston? First third down of the game, third and 12, T.Y. for 12. Next third down, they go back to T.Y., move the chains again. And then they hit Houston over the top with a big gain to T.Y. That first drive (laughs) of a road playoff game, third down conversion, third down conversion, 40-yard chunk over the top, T.Y. Hilton making his presence felt immediately. Again, 
what Michael Pittman said is not a clown mask. I want to make that very clear. But I am curious, when you're facing a guy like Marshawn Lattimore, one of the better corners in the league, what do we see from Michael Pittman on Sunday? Because, you know, does this charge him at all? I mean, this is just a week that he hasn't had in his NFL career. Again, it's nowhere near the level of statement that T.Y. Hilton made. But I'm just curious how Pittman is going to play on Sunday after a week where he did say something. He felt the need to clarify it. He's playing one of the best corners in the NFL. What Pittman do we see on Sunday in a game that I think we say, if you want meaningful football late in the year, you better get this one. I guess T.Y. Hilton, do you remember the DB that he was trolling? Uh, yeah, Jonathan Joseph, Jonathan correct? Joseph, yeah, that's it. Blast from the past there. T.Y.'s ownership stake. I saw yesterday, and I must say, it flashed before my eyes, the 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 headline. The headline was Miles Garrett, ownership stake, and for a brief second I thought it said Colts. <laughs> I think, okay, yeah. Did yeah. it say Cavs, right? Uh-huh. He's a minority owner in, yeah. the, in the Cavs. He put some money in the Cavs. T.Y. Hilton, you know, he... he I don't think it's minority. I think he's the majority owner of the Houston Texans with what T.Y. did to the Texans throughout his career. <laughs> you thought it was going to be that sports pun. Instead, it's actually Miles Garrett giving money to the Cleveland Cavaliers and only part of them. don't you get that? Like the Wikipedia oh, all pages the time. change. All the time. You know, all the time. They the did one game. this weekend. I forget who it was. It was something baseball related. Sam, I won't bring that up. I won't bring Corbin up. Corbin Carroll I, has I, a minority yeah, stake in the Phillies. I won't bring Sam, up baseball. I won't bring that up. You've brought up baseball twice already. <laughs> uh, one he, time it was off the air, wasn't it? the show with high He's lost. Yeah. I am. I thought Fair Pittman point. handled that yesterday beautifully. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I thought he handled it really, fine. really well. I thought the description of just his emotions and, and how he is. Um, again, you want more of that. I don't, frankly, think he needed to go to the extent that he did. But you know, credit to him for for doing that. And I'm really curious to see how he plays on. Sunday. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where he he's looking at probably like this is not. Listen, I am competitive as hell. I'm upset. I should have got the ball more. He's probably thinking I should have pulled in a second touchdown there. And you know how the game is different. He's upset. They lost. It, it's not. It's not a bad locker room guy malicious. It's just a harmful misstep. That that's that's what I think it is. And so I'm not surprised uh, the kind of guy he is that he came back. I think the other thing, and we'll go to break with this. I think the other thing, KB, is it it, it looked bad because two of the last three games, Josh Downs has been good. Does that make sense? That like, hey, well, maybe when you say something like that in a way you are diminishing what? Josh Downs 125 yards, yeah. Jonathan Taylor 120, uh, even Alec Pierce. Who, who, yeah, who, who had a couple plays. But you look at the last three games, uh, Downs has been pretty damn good. Two touchdowns in those uh, last three contests. I mean, you look at it, what, I think it's 20 targets over those three. So I, I, that's that's the only thing that kind of could be seen as, well, maybe it rubs somebody the wrong way was, yeah, you may have a less few catches and targets, but Josh Downs is emerging as another weapon for this offense, which is so stinking valuable. That is a cotton candy looking sky right over Riley Towers. It looks glorious. Man, enjoy. Glorious. Enjoy because Sunday it's going to rain all day and then it's going to be 40 degrees. Yeah, we can chalk up roof closed, Please. right? Roof, What's that? Roof closed, certainly for Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it looks ugly. <laughs> Deshaun Watson's big coat over there on the sideline. Honestly, without Derek Carr, a, looked, a week ago Thursday, that, that yeah, might yeah. be a good idea to keep that roof open, actually, uh, for Sunday. All right, on the other side, we'll get back into our Pacers conversation. And also, on the Colts' front, there is one issue that I think is being swept under the rug too much with this football team right now. I want to make sure we touch on that coming up at some point as well. I'm Kevin Bowen. He's Andy Sweeney. Sam Fritz in for Mark Dykton. Thank you for tuning in to the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy here on a Thursday. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Eight o'clock hour broadcasting live from the drivehubler.com studios. Appreciate you being part of the program. He's Kevin Bowen. I'm Andy Sweeney. It's a wake up call. Sam Fritz hanging out with us. Fun full uh, first hour. Tons of Michael Pittman conversation, the Colts and Saints, and obviously last night in Gamebridge uh, where KB was signing autographs. He had the VIP service, and I don't, I don't know what else. People, people no, bringing him no. food and drink and everything else. Uh, the Pacers did get the big win. Very fun atmosphere, Were you? though. You were under the radar. I don't like that. Cambridge Field. You're a celebrity, there. damn it. You're supposed to you're supposed to get that treatment. You know, just quickly before we dive back into uh, obviously you saw a nine man for the most part rotation last night. The good and bad with the defense. Halliburton fantastic. Brown fantastic. Uh we can go on and on. And so we'll get back to the Pacers quickly. I just something happened that I have and I should have teased this. Something happened that I have never seen happen before. In sports history within the last 12 hours. And and maybe you guys have seen it, okay? Maybe there's someone driving around today older than me says, I remember back in the 70s the Steelers did this. Uh, Fair enough. I have never seen this. After one game, okay, and, and an 82 NBA game schedule, after one game, the Chicago Bulls players had a players-only meeting last night after they lost at home by 20 to the Thunder. That's awesome. One game. That sums up the Bulls. <laughs> One game, man. Not even like, ah, oh, it's week two. You know, we played six, seven games, and we're two and five on the year, and we're struggling. They played one game, KB, and they said, you know what, Billy Donovan and that haircut that hasn't changed in 35 years, you go out and sit outside. We're going to have a players-only meeting. I tell you, Zach Levine, Zach Levine, he's getting traded. That guy's getting traded. That is so it, Chicago Bulls. It's not even They're going to be a bad funny. team this year. Uh, bad yeah, team. You know, a couple other, I think, Pacers notes from last night. We've certainly harped on the depth. It's quality. It's It's legit. It's going to be such an advantage over the course of a 82-game grind when you get into, you know, three games in four nights. You get into, you know, road trips, back-to-backs, et cetera, et cetera. Teams start to rest guys. And you saw it on display. You know, the first quarter, obviously, defense was a major issue. And then you left Bruce Brown in at that second group, and all of a sudden, Buddy Heald hit a couple shots. I thought Jalen Smith gave you really important minutes in that second quarter. I, I thought he was good. He was good in the preseason, too. Yeah. Uh, to me, he's a rotation. Like, you easy. know, he started last year at the four, and yeah. now he's kind of your he's your backup five. You know, beat out Daniel Tice and Isaiah Jackson for that, and I thought he was really important last night. I like that Benedict Matherin ends the night with five assists. You know, he still is your attacker, and he attacks, and he attacks, and at times, just get into that lane, take a breath, and find a guy. And I thought last night he did that more than we are used to with him. Um you know, I don't know what I like more from Bruce Brown, Andy. The fact that he's your leading scorer, that's what probably everybody goes to. But I look at Jordan Poole's stat line, and that is the top wing player on the other end of the floor. And Jordan Poole, 7 of 18. Yeah. He's 0 of 6 from 3. 
He turned it over four times. I laughed at his over-under. It was what, like 20? Was It, it was low 20s. It was I mean, like 21 and a half before the game. And I'm I thinking, thought that was a lock. Yeah, 100%. Him having 18 points is probably the biggest surprise of this entire game. And again, that is something that, okay, you look at Saturday night. What does Bruce Brown do against Donovan Mitchell? I mean, these are, I mean, night sure. in, night out. You know, you play the Bulls on Monday. What does he do against Zach Levine? I mean, these are the sorts of assignments he's going to get. It, 24 points in 27 minutes is probably not going to be the norm for Bruce Brown. But if he can provide that sort of presence on the other end, uh, that's critical because I think overall, in general, your perimeter defense with the other guys in that starting lineup, that's going to continue to be a big question mark for you. Again, what I said in our number one KB was 24 points last night, only one time in the regular season last year did Brown do that for the Nuggets and only one time in the postseason. And you know what Poole reminded me of Last night, I got thinking about it this morning as well. When Kevin Durant, remember, you know, obviously everyone remembers when he went to Golden State, right? And it was a surprise. I remember, I forget exactly what day it was, but I remember because it was a day that nationally it was all the fill-in hosts. <laughs> and I remember thinking, boy, they got lucky, right? They got lucky they to preview some crap story. They got like the biggest story, okay? Kevin Durant, he says where he's going to go and it's freaking Golden State. But one reason he, he went there, be, you know, besides the obvious winning and everything else, was to be around other good players. And the point was, hey, at Oklahoma City, you're having to work so hard for your for your points. If you get, you know, to get a clean look, to get the kind of shot you're going to get in our offense, you got to work pretty hard. In the Golden State offense, you're not going to have to work as hard. You're playing with better players, et cetera, et cetera. Jordan Poole has been playing with who? Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Andrew Wiggins. I mean, at times probably played what uh, with Harrison Barnes before Harrison Barnes moved on. Point being, and I know Golden State right now, last year, last couple years, hasn't been uh, what you know, kind of what they had been when they were winning championships and at the height of their reign. But Jordan Poole now is is on a floor <laughs> with Cal Kuzma and Tyus Jones. Right, I mean that's different. Oh, you got to toss in Gallinari for a few minutes last yeah, night. He yeah. looked like he was <laughs> okay, all NBA. Yeah, I know he looked fine, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, I, I do. it's a it him now. Well, the shots that he used to get, I'm sure he is going to find out with Golden State were easier, and people were paying attention to other guys on the floor. And now you're in Washington, and that's not going to be the case. That's not taking anything away uh, from Brown, not and, at all. It's just reality. Sure. And I think another thing to note about last night, it's that when you have, and again, T.J. McConnell was technically out of the rotation. When you have Tyrese Halliburton and Andrew Nemhard and their ability to give you 22, you know, combined, or what was it, 20 combined assists, and then also both be double-digit scores, that, you know, Rick Carlisle said it so accurately after the game. The strength of this basketball team is the point guard position. I mean, those two are the catalyst. And there were times last night, or even Maddie said to me, like, wow, I feel like we're we're almost passing too much. Like there were there were a couple <laughs> turnovers there where it was like everyone was trying to make the extra pass. And ultimately, that's the culture you want. Like you'd rather have that than the alternative than of the not selfish, making enough right. passes. But you know, thirty-eight assists for those that maybe don't follow an NBA box score on a night-in, night-out basis. That is an astonishing number. Thirty-eight assists. I think Nate McMillan, back when he was here, I want to say twenty-five was the nightly goal that he had for his team. So you get to thirty-eight. That's why you score one hundred forty-three. 
Um, and, and again, the second unit, Buddy Heal, Jalen Smith, uh, even Aaron Neesmith. I know the box score might not show it, but I thought he was important last night as well. So the Pacers, uh, they have seven of their first nine at home, as Rick Carlisle has said to us on several occasions here when he's joined the show the last couple of Tuesdays. This start of the year is an opportunity to get some, and it was important. You, you will go on the road mm-hmm. Saturday, but then after that, you've got six of seven at home. Quickly, uh, Carlisle last night, just to wrap up the Pacer conversation, Bruce Brown uh, was so very good. Uh, you know, him him finding a spot here in this starting lineup, he's going to be a quality player. Here's, here's what Carlisle had to say. You know, for a guy like Bruce, who was playing in mid-June, um, you know, the, the preseason is an opportunity to get to know your teammates, find out where your shots are likely to come, and then and then rep things out and be ready for game one. And that's exactly what he did. I mean, I get here early every day. He's here before me every day. And, you know, he's an early he, he's an early morning guy. And you, you, you walk in the gym and Luke Combs is playing and he is he's shooting and, and doing his stuff. And, uh, you know, Tonight, he did exactly what we signed him to do. <clears throat> he was a no-frills veteran competitor that was ready to play on night number one. Now, the crowd needs to get behind the... No-frills. Oh, that's going to happen. That, like that, that, that's got to get there. I, I, I heard it a little bit last night. It's got to be... Yeah, but that's a layup. got to be in unison. KB, that's a layup. Fans can do that. I the know. Bruce thing, that's it easy. Just, By game two, you're calling people out. You're saying to do it. By game two, won't be a problem. It's got to be there. It's got to be there. Monday night, Chicago, that's an absolute must. Um, One Colts item that I want to make sure we hit on today, and again, Scott Agnes is going to join us here at 8.30. We'll get back into the little little Pacers then. Um, Andy, this goes back to last season. And you know what? Part of me was like, Kevin, are you allowed to do that? Are we allowed to go back to last year? But I thought a little bit more about it, and it's a defensive-related issue that I have. And when the coordinator is the same, when the personnel is largely the same. Obviously, you've made some changes at corner. But for the most part, you've got about seven or eight defensive starters that you had last season. I felt like it was worth going back to. The Colts have an issue right now closing out games defensively. And when you start to look at it, Andy, it's a little bit more of a glaring issue than I think any of us have given credence to. The Colts have won one of their last nine home games. One and eight the last nine times they've been inside of Lucas Oil Stadium. It's a staggering stat, honestly. If you look at those eight losses, Andy, half of the eight, so four of the eight, are by one single point. Obviously, Sunday being one of them. You go back to the season finale last year with Houston. You go back to the Washington and Philadelphia games last season where those were probably the final breaking points. I don't think the train had gone off the tracks just yet. You know, Houston to end the year, okay, we could we could maybe call that one a little bit of an outlier. But Washington and Philly, you were still, you know, I mean, the Colts did start three, I think it was three, two, and one maybe it was last year. Like, it's a very similar record, honestly, to what they have this season. But I bring this up because this is a Gus Bradley-led defense. It is a defense that, whether it's Buckner, whether it's Quiddy, whether it's Grover Stewart, whether it's Shaq Leonard, whether it's Zaire Franklin, whether it's Julian Blackman, Kenny Moore. I mean, again, a lot of the defensive personnel is the same. And I think back to how those games have ended. The four one-point losses, Andy, have all included 
a game-winning touchdown drive by your opponent in the final two minutes. And you're not even counting the Rams game. No, no, no. I'm I mean, not, yeah, yeah, you're, I, you're, I mean, you're being benevolent. Right. I would throw that game in there as well. Yeah. I, I want to focus on these four sure. one-point losses because what stands out to me in each of these four games, Andy, is you have allowed final minute. When your crowd is rocking, you've allowed final minute 75, 80, 85-yard touchdown drives. And when you look at the quarterbacks – you want to look the other way. Taylor Heineke in the Commanders. Nine play, 89-yard touchdown drive in the final two minutes. Now, obviously, Philadelphia is Jalen Hurts. So that uh, is somewhat understandable. 11 plays, 75 yards. Davis Mills, Andy. <laughs> I knew you were going with Davis Mills. I knew his day was coming up. 14 play, <laughs> yeah. 83-yard drive, yeah. multiple fourth down conversions, and then if you want more salt in wounds, how about the two-point conversion for the win as Lovey Smith exits and gets fired an hour later with a 14-play touchdown drive plus two-point two point conversion. And then obviously yesterday uh, on Sunday, P.J. Walker, 12-play, 80-yard drive. And if you want to say, hey, you know, we actually closed that one. Again, it's a 60-yard drive before the officiating becomes an issue for you. So think about that, Andy. Four one-point losses, your inability to protect home field as you're 1-8 in the final nine games, and your defense has walked on the field in a two-minute situation needing one stop and one field goal stop. Like, these are all touchdown drives all of them and obviously Jalen Hurts is an MVP type of quarterback those other three dudes they ain't starters in this league and Taylor Heineke Davis Mills and PJ Walker and Jalen Hurts by the way in that game had 190 yards yeah and, and you I know think, I mean he wasn't great that was you got the C minus you know performance from the Eagles last year Colts fans will recall you know third and goal right at the middle Rick Venturi I thought maybe it was gonna have a baby in the press conference his reaction <laughs> at the parting of the seas there for the game-winning touchdown. But I bring this up, Andy, because, you know, games in the NFL are largely decided by these sorts of possessions. And if you look at, and maybe it's unfair to do so, but I think back to the Manning era, having Robert Mathis and Dwight Franey opposite each other, they slammed the door shut. Like, Didn't Cleveland slam it shut once Gardner got the ball back late? I mean, they had that final strip. Who on this defensive line? Who? Because I, I point... I, put most of it on that position group on the front seven just the line or the front yeah, seven as a front whole because speed kind of made the play right and, you know and, and, which and, is and unfortunate can be involved in right it. and so some of this falls on Gus Bradley as well but who's going to step up and be that closer we don't think of football necessarily of having closers but you can close I mean how many times does Mahomes convert a third and six to ice a game right that right. can be an element of closing and no, we think about it from the offensive side more than not. Right, like and I, the defensive side has bit the Colts in the ass. Like I'm looking at Mike Chappell on Sunday before the Colts come out for that final drive, and I'm thinking, wouldn't this be a time for a quitty pay statement? A rookie right tackle and Dewan Jones, the crowd is rocking. Wouldn't this be a time? Philip Walker holds on to the football. You know, that would be an opportunity to slam it shut. So um I think if you are looking for Things that need to improve. And again, I, maybe it's unfair of me to go back to last season considering it's the same coordinator and largely the same personnel. I don't think it's that unfair to do it all. Um, One-point losses. One and eight at home is inexcusable. And to allow four touchdown drives in the last year to those quarterbacks, all of them you know, north of 70 yards, uh, I, I think it's an issue that we should pay more uh, more, more attention to. Oh, well, I, it, it's, it's the teams they're allowing it against. 
it's the, the it's the quarterback specifically like Stafford they're allowing the Rams, it against uh, like okay yeah I, I, you don't love it but that's why I didn't group that one in with the others and that was one that obviously it was a tie game you didn't you didn't have the lead it was an overtime game it was a tie game it was per an se. odd game right it wasn't a one point yeah. game no you were being benevolent uh, when because I would have thrown that one in. <sighs> I don't know what the answer here is. You, you need more out of your D line. I, I mean, yeah, I, I think that's. I think that's part of it. I think and the I'd other like part. And I like more out of Gus Bradley. I, maybe you need to throw more heat if you're Gus Bradley. I mean, I'm, try, I'm trying to think heat here. Heat at Heineke. Heat at Mills. Heat at Walker. I mean, don't you feel like the New Orleans game upcoming, probably on Sunday, you could foresee a situation where. It's a one-score game, and Carr has the ball and has to go 75 yards. Well, and, You could see that, could you not? And and you know what? Think back to last year's Raiders game, the lone Jeff Saturday win. In Vegas, very similar situation. Uh, obviously a road game. And the reason you shut that drive out and you closed that game wasn't necessarily because you made some play to end it with your pass rush. It was Stephon Gilmore knocking down a ball intended for Devontae Adams. So, again, even there, and, of course, Gilmore was the guy that did close for you in Denver, did close for you in Vegas last season. He is no longer here. Um, I tend to think, again, closers fall a little bit more. It starts with the the front. It starts with that pressure. Um, You know, go back to the Chiefs game last season, Andy. Week three, the Colts win that game. To me, that was some pressure on Mahomes, forcing a throw. Julian Blackman hauls in an interception there to end it. But to me... That's what starts it. It's the pin your ears back defensive line. Everybody in the stadium knows that you're throwing it. You're going to have one run on that drive, and it's going to be the play before the two-minute warning. No no teams are running it outside of that. Um, so I put more of that on your D-line. Uh, I wanted to bring this up before we get to a morning check down. Can you bring me up clip seven, uh, Sam? I appreciate that. Sorry to put you on the spot. Shane Steichen, because I think what you – I was going to bring this up in the, in the 9 o'clock hour, but I think it's better here. What you're talking about is kind of the direction of the team. And listen, we understand there's a bunch of teams that are like the Colts, that are three and four, four and three. You know what I'm saying, three and three. A bunch of teams around the NFL that have won three, four games, and perhaps they've lost three, four games, and we understand understand that some of those teams go in the right direction and some of them go in the wrong direction and games that are close if we get one against the Saints on Sunday what we saw with the Rams most definitely what you're talking about with the Browns go ahead and play this clip and I want to react because I think this is exactly what you're talking about I think there's been a lot of good um, that we've done and I think you know in this league it's, it comes down to the details and I think our focus and our preparation you know maintain this maintain the same because I feel like we are doing a lot of good things and uh, the wins will come but we got to keep our foot down uh, keep our focus uh, dialed in keep the preparation the same and uh, I think you know when you get into these November December you kind of really find out teams are either climbing or they're going to start dropping off so we got to make sure as an organization football team that we're climbing. Yeah, and to me, those 50-50 type games is how you keep climbing. When they have won games, what's it like doing that show? What is it like around the Colts for that week? You know that. I don't need to tell. It's a rhetorical question. You guys understand. And what is it when you have a game like you had against the Browns? I don't know if it's better players. I don't know if it's more experience. I don't know if it's blitzing more. I don't know if it's, you know, Shane Steichen can't give 10 points up at the end of the first half. It's all, you can't get a field goal blocked. You can't let Miles Garrett ruin your team in the first two quarters. All of these things uh, kind of go in with each other. 
but when you have a chance to win and there's a final drive, we had a caller, what, two days ago say, I kind of feel like everything got erased then, right? When the defense comes out and there's one more possession and you know the game's coming down to this, to hell with everything else. Well, especially I, you, at home, you know, when, when your crowd should be rocking. Why are they rocking? so bad at home? I, yeah, I just, it, I'll never understand why they're so bad at home. It, it, you know, it's funny you play that Steichen clip. That was a question I asked Shane yesterday, and, and my question was, you know, it's the first time you know, you've coached a team that's lost two in a row. Are you curious how they will respond to that? You know, Shane has all these little, you know, okay, now the team's won a couple of in a row. How are they going to respond to that? You know, losing streaks, how do they respond to that? If you look at the Frank Reich era, obviously take the last year out, for the most part, Andy, they responded very well after losing streaks. They started 1-5 in 2018 and went on a big run. Uh, it was kind of where the bullseye rose for them. That was when, uh, or, or grew for them, that's when they did struggle um, but, you know, he mentions climbing the ladder late. If you want to continue that analogy, games like Sunday, games like next week in Carolina, the Patriots game in Germany, if you want any chance to climb the ladder, you first have got to get on the ladder. And in order to create meaningful late November into December, you got to take care of business here in the next few weeks because you squandered the last two. And we talked about leading into Jacksonville. Monumental mid-October divisional game. We talked about it last week. Monumental mid-October wild card implication game. Okay? We're not going to say that for Sunday with New Orleans in terms of division because New Orleans is an NFC team. We won't say that next week with Carolina. We probably won't say that with New England unless for some reason they Mm -hmm. win their next two. But we say it in that if you want to feel some game playoff implication pressure with games later in the year – these are the ones that you've got to make sure that you take care of. Hey, KB, I would – listen, here's how I feel. I feel like they need to win uh, – and I hate and I hate doing this. I, I almost feel like they need to win the next three. I mean, don't you – I mean, yeah. at least Carolina and New England, I mean, they're going right. to have to win. So you know, if you go two and one, you'd be, what, five and five at the bye if, if you win the next three, you'd be six yeah, and four. And I could roll with five and five. You know, Tampa Bay, let's see what happens with Tampa Bay. You know, I mean, they started out hot. They're a team that I think they're one of those middling teams that could fall off. I'm not a huge Todd Bowles as a head coach fan. Baker Mayfield is very limited. Uh, so I could see them, you know, they're not a playoff team in my opinion. So I could see, you know, I could see Tampa Bay in the next three, four weeks kind of, you know, become who we kind of thought they were going to be. I mean, before the season, didn't we kind of think they were going to be in the Caleb Williams, Drake May sweepstakes that, you know, Tampa Bay would be one of those teams with like four wins this season. Uh, Tennessee could very well be starting Malik Willis or Will Levis or a hobbled Ryan Tannehill. You already beat them once. I, I don't know. I just, so you have the fourth easiest schedule the rest of the Yeah, line. but this was the, this was the point because of the quarterbacks. Now, Cleveland's different because I, I actually think, you know, Schwartz is a pretty good defensive coach. I think they're kind of a well-coached team, and Cleveland does have that defense, even though you crushed that that defense. That losing to Cleveland, they're not like to me. To me, Cleveland's going to be around playing games in late November that matter. New Orleans, Carolina, and New England are not going to be so in the bad team ranking. To me, those. Uh, very much are different than what we saw in here Sunday with the Browns in Lucas Oil. I, to me, you got to win these next three games. It starts on Sunday. You got to win these next three games, and we you know one of these games is at home. It's on Sunday. Got to win these games at home. Like to me, 
we talked about, I think I brought it up on Tuesday, the importance of this game and being 4-4 four and four and not 3-5 and five is substantial for everything around this football team. Derek throws this out. I wouldn't be surprised to see a change of defensive coordinator after the season. Scheme around the strengths of your players. Stop being stubborn or scared. If this trend continues, Andy, and we just talked about the inability to close, particularly at home, uh, I think it's a conversation that you have to have. And I know Shane Sykin and Gus Bradley – have a relationship, and I know that uh, Gus Bradley was someone that the staff, Chris Boward, wanted to bring back. Certainly, he made that very clear. But, Andy, it's something, because the personnel's been pretty similar. And if you're squandering home opportunities sitting on a platter, if you told the coach at the start of the year, hey, you're going to have 17 chances all season long where your team is up four with two minutes to go, and you've got the crowd noise on your side, and your defense has got to defend 80 yards. You would sign up every single week for 17. <laughs> you, yeah, you, yeah, you're thinking to yourself, we're going to win, what, three-fourths of those games? Two-thirds of them? I mean, you're going to win a big chunk in the last four times the Colts have had that opportunity, not including the Rams. They've lost each and every one of them to quarterbacks you would not consider elite outside of Jalen I, I mean, you're again, KV's being nice here. we got to get to a check down. The Jacksonville game week one, I mean, they led in the fourth quarter. I mean, we need not forget they led in the fourth quarter of that game. I think that was some other units contributing to it. You had the punt. Buckner had the the touchdown, so the defense made a play. And then obviously Richardson throws the pick when, you know, you kind of had the chance to drive late in that game. But notwithstanding, there are even other games. The Rams certainly. The the Rams stick out to me as a game game where they just went right down the field the way that Cleveland went right down the field. I mean, you have Donovan Peoples-Jones making big-time plays. I guess for me it would be, and this would be the last thing on this for me, would be my kickback on the Gus Bradley. And while I can understand that, and, and ultimately that may be something we get to the end of the year and they go get somebody else and that's fine and it's understandable. To me would be how much talent is he working with? Well, and and, and, I, and I think when we talk about well, let's blitz. I'm with you. I, I am a believer in making especially marginal to bad quarterbacks feel uncomfortable. The problem with that is you got to believe what's on the back end of your defense, and I'm not sure you can. And let's be honest, they immediately picked on Daryl Baker Jr. when he was in the game, and Juju Brents is missing time. Right? I mean, he's missing time. That defensive backfield has taken a couple, you know, massive hits to their depth, and that's not an area that they could really do so. So it's fine. If you blitz, that's good, but you better get home because if you don't, it's most likely going to be a substantial play. Well, that's the, whole, the other side. Yeah, scheme versus talent. I mean, Andy, back to back games, you know, nearly 100 snaps for Quiddy Pay and no sacks and no quarterback hit. And, and again, he faced a backup. Backup and, and more a rookie right tackle in Dewan Jones and could not create that pressure when you needed it. So I think that's certainly a fair point. Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Ah, uh, yes, you hear the sweet music. That means, you know, Sam Fritz is in. 
and not Seether playing in your uh, <laughs> in your car studio, in your car speakers at 8 a.m. Mark Dighton is in Wisconsin. That must be an indoor water park in Wisconsin, right? I, I, <laughs> given that it's, 40, yeah. given it's 45 degrees, the Dightons roll up. Uh, Pops, what's wrong? Well, it's 50 degrees outside. <laughs> uh, obviously, been reacting Pacers uh, and Wizards last night. Reminder, Pacers at Cavs coming up Saturday night, 7 o'clock right here on the fan. Reminder as well, get your Thursday bets in. We'll help you coming up 9.30. Hammer going to be in studio. Uh, he's been good. The, you know, the first two weeks, the last two weeks, we've had him on. So we'll see what kind of uh, winners and losers he has for us this week. All right, Scott Agnes joins us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline on the fan on this Thursday. He's from Fieldhouse Files. And obviously, we're talking about the win last night. The Pacers start the season 1-0. and Scott, good morning. How are you today, sir? Hey, good morning. Good to be on again. Well, thank you so much uh, for carving out a couple minutes. Uh, the good. What was the good? What was the bad last night you saw from the Pacers? Yeah, I kind of think the game went as expected. High-powered offense where they just tried to run down your throats and launch as many threes as, as possible. I did like how after a sluggish start, poor defense, turnovers, then they really kind of settled in. They had two turnovers in the entire second half. Shots were falling, and and we also then saw some of the uh, looks at the rotation, moving to a nine-man rotation to start the season I thought was really interesting after a, such a competitive camp and having so many uh, guys that you could turn to. Um, but overall, it's just what they were able to get done and, and valuing the ball and then knocking down shots in the second half, I thought, uh, along with some – some individual production in terms of Bruce Brown's threes and probably Andrew Nemhard, uh, what he was able to do assisting with the basketball so soon after playing in just one preseason game because of the kidney stone. Scott, uh, as always, thank you for the time. Scott Agnes, Fieldhouse Files with us here. Um, you hear him on Thursday, certainly during basketball season. I feel like the greatest strength for this team, Scott, is going to come in the regular season with this depth. I mean, last night, it felt like late first quarter, you, you certainly needed a jolt. And as the second unit of a Buddy Heald and Aaron Neesmith and Jalen Smith come on the floor, the Wizards go to their second unit, and it, it's the Wizards. But you, you got to open up the game program to look up who some of these guys are. You know, Buddy Heald started <laughs> yeah. 80 games for you last year. Neesmith started 60. Like I just feel like that quality depth, Scott, is going to be this team's greatest strength, and in my opinion, a big reason why I think they're going to be a playoff team. Yeah, you could probably argue it's its greatest strength and one of its bigger weaknesses, too, because it also has a direct impact on the roster, how how guys are, are feeling about their roles. And, and if you're talking about being a championship contender, you need to consolidate several of those roles into one superstar talent in the perfect world. But, yeah, I think it shined through certainly last night, and, and you saw just two, the, the horsepower of the offense is just unreal. I mean – how many times they were running, how many times they were knocking down shots. I, 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 In the middle of the third quarter, I was reminding myself and looking back up the franchise record for three-pointers made, which is 23, by the way. They got awfully close, but I have a feeling that could be something that is uh, reset several different times this season. Oh, but for sure. you're going to have injuries when you talk about your depth. Therefore, you, 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 you need that additional help. You'll have games where a guy just does not have it, so you turn to the other guy. But more than anything, if you want to talk about depth, the one that pops to me as you look is that backup point guard spot. Andrew Nemhard played off the ball. He he kind of just played last year in a role 
were as needed, right? In the secondary guard spot, maybe he was the top defender that night. Maybe he knocked down a game-winning three like he did in the Lakers or controlled the game in Golden State, but most of the time worked in the background. Well, now he's he's heading up that second unit and, and was impressive in the way in which he just quietly went about his business and, and led that group. Scott, we've had Rick Carlisle on, and it's not revolutionary basketball, but the three best shots, obviously, your free throws, your layup slash dunks, and the three-pointer, especially if you can get those clean looks from three. Uh, We saw in the preseason, oh, and I had the numbers here and I lost it, but it was well over 40 uh, I think it was like 40-41 per game, three-pointer shot in the preseason, 43 last night. Golden State led the NBA last year in shooting 43 threes per game. How, how many, like if I put an over-under on it, how many threes do you think they end up shooting per game, do the Pacers? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the style they want. I'd probably put it at 41. Yeah, 40, 40, I'm with you. Something just like that, yeah. And here's the telling point, Andy. If you go back two coaches ago, which wasn't that too long ago, I think it was four years ago, with Nate McMillan, they were last in the league at like 29 per game. So this is a significant change both in terms of uh, meeting the rest of the NBA and also matching what this style is trying to do. I mean, you watch Tyrese out there and and the other guys uh, who handle the ball, and they are just racing up the floor the best the most the funniest part oftentimes comes during a dead ball. They'll go get the dead ball. They'll hand it to the ref, already be out of bounds and trying to push it forward. Whereas so many other teams, right? They're just lollygagging, waiting for the fan to give the ball back. And no, they're, they're decisive and they know they're at their best and will have the most success statistically. And in terms of having fun when they are able to race it and beat the other team to the basket. He is Scott Agnes. You uh, read his work over at Fieldhouse Files podcast as well. Um, Scott with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. You're always a great observer of just kind of other stuff, not necessarily even on the floor. Anything stand out to you about opening night in Banker's Life Fieldhouse? I mean, certainly Adam Silver in the building, uh, the Bicentennial Plaza pregame, always a great spot right outside for those that haven't seen it yet. Uh, Anything else stand out to you in-game in the arena? Yeah, I'd appreciate, I appreciate that. First thing was Roy Hibbert. I, I could not remember the last time <laughs> I had seen him at the arena. He said 2016 as a member of the Lakers. It's been that long. Remember, they traded him away in 2015. And I can tell you, things did not end on a good note for him or his teammates. It was that whole situation where uh, they didn't like exactly how Larry Bird left it. Um, with him, with David West, all those different guys. So it was a little bit sour note. So the first detail I noticed was Roy Hibbert being back and just having fun again, like, you know, looking around, thinking back as the the memories came pouring in and that sort of thing. Second thing I noticed, new lights on, like, every step at the field house, and they would time them and have different colors to match, like, the moment, to match a three-pointer, things like that. and there, there's a few other different things that Dean Havlin uh, is doing over there with, with game operations uh, for entertainment. Uh, outside of that, everything was mostly the same. I had zero uh, real problems of fans uh, on Twitter talking about Bally Sports and the TV broadcast, so I think that went over well, all things considered. Um, but I, I would say Roy Hibbert, Revenita up, which is what he did last night as well, that pregame tradition being back. And then the lights on the 
kind of the the aisle seats really stood out to me. Yeah, Roy fitting in the car might have been the biggest upset of, <laughs> uh, of the night. Yeah. What what is he up to, Scott? I I feel like last I kind of heard of him. Uh, wasn't he doing something with the 76ers as like a player development guy? Yeah, that was several years ago. I think it was okay. 2019. He was on staff there and very much in an entry level job. So he was, he, and we did get to talk to him, by the way. So I will have a story coming soon with Roy, which I appreciated. They did make him available and we talked for about 10 minutes. Um, basically he was like, look, I'm, I'm, I was not, it was not below me to do little things, but half of what I was doing was setting up chairs and getting water for guys. And and it was very clear that several of the players didn't mention any names, but several players in Philadelphia at the time were uh, probably not the true pros or handled things as he would have done if maybe he was on that team or a player on that group. Now, since then, uh, really grown his family. He's got four kids. I think he said under six, if I heard him right. Wow. And on top of that, He's entering year two as a uh, college basketball analyst for CBS Sports. Scott Agnes with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, I, I guess two-parter for me, the only two things I have on my sheet. I want to ask you just rotation, did anything, you know, we talk, ah, oh, they could go 10, 11 guys, and in the end they went, you know, about nine, and that's going to change. You talked about that earlier. And then, you know, the Cavs win last night, a, a late bucket by Donovan Mitchell. What do you make of that matchup on Saturday? Yeah, so first with the rotation, I'm not too surprised, although they didn't make it out that this entire camp was about earning it, and I'm not sure how you can argue how T.J. McConnell did not earn minutes if you just take that for what the message was at camp. Now, and the other thing, too, is it's a little, I think, maybe disconcerting a little bit, is you look at your roster, you have two guys who are definitely ready to play and win now, and T.J. McConnell and Daniel Tice. I mean, Tice is in as good a shape as he has been, and, and health-wise, by the way. Remember, he dealt with that knee injury all camp last year and really couldn't be himself until February. Well, Tice, coming off a World Cup, isn't even in the rotation. Uh, he's actually the last big there, and, and more than likely than not, will probably get moved here if there is a party out there. But to me, that also suggests you're building towards the future. It's not putting the ultimate best 10 or best nine in the rotation it's more with the future in mind um and that was one thing i think we needed to see some kind of direction from the team chosen that was it for game one and then in terms of the Cavs, uh, it's always a tough physical matchup um it's a central division foe so that's noteworthy and the pacers oftentimes will have a difficult time defending at least one of their wings because it's kind of pick your battle it's darius garland it's donovan mitchell um, they brought in a couple other shooters like Max Struess in the offseason. Um, and and then, of course, up front, a lot of physical force. But they got a preview of that in the preseason. Um, but that, that will be a, a true test. I don't think opening night, much like the preseason, gave us a true feel for the team. Scott, last one. And as always, appreciate the time after uh, opening night because I know it was a late one for you. Uh, Adam Silver in the building yesterday, obviously the All-Star game here in February, so the commissioner making an appearance announcement back to the East versus West format, so you won't have the LeBron and Giannis draft like we've had in years past. I am a little bummed, no more Elam ending, traditional four quarters. I actually like the Elam ending twist for the All-Star game. Uh, Anything else that Silver said or anything else kind of All-Star related uh, that might have come out from yesterday? 
Yeah, a couple of things I was able to ask him afterwards in terms of all of that. One thing I was wondering about, because a lot of fans have been clamoring for it, is can we get back to the original jerseys? Meaning you wear <laughs> your jersey to the game. It's actually something Tyrese mentioned after the game as well. He thought that would be cool. And I think right now that's not going to happen this year because um, of a, an agreement with Nike, right, to produce those uniforms, I think under the Jordan brand. But – it sounds like they're open to it, but again, that's one of those ancillary things that they can reach down the road. They really want to get back to kind of just the original style, predictable style of play, and hope that leads to a more competitive game. That's what it's ultimately about. And it, and, and maybe this is trying to get away from being gimmicky and, and that sort of thing. The jerseys certainly are not, but if you add the Elam ending and, and – each quarter's played for charity and all that, which will still happen. That's what they're trying to clarify here. Though I did note uh, the Elam ending was was a Ball State professor, so mm-hmm. yeah, that was Nick Elam. That in his his backyard now it's going away. So I did feel bad um, for that. And one other thing, I asked about ABA. I've been asked by some of the former ABA Pacers, um, by their families, by just Pacers fans, like that was a big deal here. Are they going to be recognized? Is there going to be a special event? Could you use an ABA ball in the all-star game? Whatever. Um, and, and one of the league officials who was a heads up NBA events basically said, we'll consider anything, um, but did not, did not offer great detail on if something certainly will happen, but I would love to see that. Again, Scott Agnes recapping last night. That was 143-120. Uh, I had forgotten Scott Denary or Scott Denary. Sorry, Scott. Uh, <laughs> Chris Denary texted me late last night. The Pacers only had one 20-point win all last season, and they already get one on opening night. Uh, cannot wait to read the Roy Hibbert story. Uh, you, you said that'll be up later today or later this week? Yeah, probably later this week. I, we had the Adam Silver. There was a lot last night. You had Adam Silver, then you had the game. You had Roy Hibbert and a lot more. So we'll get to it. Fieldhouse Files is going to be busy here this week. Must stop for the Pacers. Again, they next play with the Cavs at Cleveland coming up on Saturday night. Scott, great stuff, man. Thank you. Appreciate it, Scott.